Hello everyone, Salim Omar here, President of CPM Marketing Genius, bringing you another monthly uh, interview and expert call. This month, I've got a person, her name is Linda Popke, and she's written a phenomenal book. The, the title of it is Marketing Above the Noise. Um, Linda is the president of Leverage to Market Associates, a Silicon Valley-based strategic marketing company that helps transform organizations through powerful marketing performance. Her clients range from small businesses to mid-sized companies and large Fortune 500 enterprises. In 2009, Linda was named one of the top women of influence in Silicon Valley and inducted into the Million Dollar Consultant Hall of Fame. A popular speaker, educator, and consultant, Linda holds an MBA from Boston University. She is a classically trained pianist and serves on several boards in the San Francisco Bay Area. Linda, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, really, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing the, all that you will on the subject of marketing because marketing has become very noisy and you've written a book that I think speaks to, uh, is, is very relevant in the times that, that, that we are in. So let's perhaps start off with how is marketing today different you know, from the way it was done in the past? Well, that's a great question, Salim. And, and I think one of the key things is that we have – everyone today is able to do marketing. So in the past, we left marketing to the professional marketers, and that was it. Today, we are all able to publish online. We have blogs. We have social media. uh, We have mobile devices. We can take our cell phone and take a video. So it's open to everyone, which is a good thing. The bad news about that is um, there's just so much going on that it's really hard to stand out. And it's hard for you as a small business owner, particularly someone like an accountant, a CPA, who is busy working on your client's uh, financial statements and getting that kind of um, work done. When do you take the time to do marketing and how do you get involved and where do you jump into this? So it's very much a a matter of, of understanding who your clients are and where you need to reach them. But in the old days, it was very simple. We didn't have that many ways to reach clients and that many ways to do marketing, so it was just picked from column A or column B. Now there's a lot of different things you can do, and you have to figure out which one makes the most sense. Hmm. So true. Now you talk about marketing above the noise in your book. What do you mean by that? So imagine, if you would, that you're in a very large cocktail party and everybody is talking at once. Everybody's having these little conversations. And you walk in there and you want to try and reach someone on the other side of the room. It's almost impossible because you have to shout and hope that they hear you, and that doesn't work very well. So if that's, imagine that that's really the marketplace that you're selling into today. If you're a small business owner and, and even a large company, everybody's talking to you at once. And there's all this noise out there. And the problem is that it's not just noise through the traditional uh, venues, but we get marketing on our cell phone. If you have a Fitbit or some other wearable, you're starting to get marketing uh, messages coming there. So you can't escape this marketing. And what starts to happen is your customers and your prospects just want to cover their ears and say, go away, it's too loud, it's too noisy. Now, you can try to shout. And maybe if you're strong enough, you can be heard for a little bit above the noise. But um, that won't work long term because you're going to get tired of shouting and people don't want to be shouted at. 
So you have to do something different. You have to be creative. You have to be different. And you have to do something to stand out rather than either just shrink back and go back into your, uh, your little corner or try to shout above everyone else. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the key issues facing companies, brands, you know, in the current times? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is, of course, how do you differentiate yourself? Particularly if you're, uh, if you're a CPA firm and you provide a wonderful service, but there are other firms that do that as well, why should I work with you for my financial needs versus working with someone else? And so building a brand around an experience and, and a relationship as much as a product. Um, certainly if you're Apple and you've got an iPhone, that's great. Um, if you're Amazon and you've got Echo and Alexa, that's really great. But when you're the rest of us, you need to be able to, uh, to figure out how to differentiate yourself from the pack, and that starts by understanding who your customers are and what they need and what real value that you provide that other people don't. Um, the other key issue I think that, that's important is um, your customers have so many more choices today. And it's not just you know, this CPA firm versus that CPA firm, but should I do this myself? Should I use some kind of online firm? Is there somebody in India that's doing this for a, a fraction of the cost uh, you know, offshore? So there are all different ways of, of getting something done, um, just like Uber kind of came along and disrupted taxis were the same for 100 years. They were expensive and they were slow to, to get and, and they were kind of obnoxious when they dealt with you and dirty and smelly until Uber came along and said, hey, we're going to change the way we do this. So another issue affecting brands today is what's changing in your market and how are you going to be prepared and how are you going to reach out and, and, um, and, and be the one that either is doing the disruption or taking advantage of it as opposed to the one who is being disrupted too and, and having this happen to you. Mm. Now, you said something very, really very interesting in that it all starts with the customer. Has that changed, Linda, as you've studied this and looked at marketing, the way companies have marketed in the last perhaps couple of decades? Um, has it changed from being very product service centric to being very customer centric? Well, you know, it's interesting. That's a great question, Salim. And I think one of the things that's changed is we're more aware of this. There was a time when, yes, you could bet out a product that was, you know, brighter or faster or, you know, did something that no one else did. And in certain cases, that's still the case. But for most of us, it's understanding the customer and what they want. And I maintain that's the way marketing was done back, if we go back to the early days of marketing, we think about, farmers you know, living together, coming together once a week. You might have had sheep and some extra wool, and I had chickens and I had some extra egg, and somebody else had cows and they had extra milk. And we came together in this uh, place called a market. And a couple of things happened there. Uh, number one, we had to all know what the time frame was. If this was going to happen Tuesday at, at 4 and I showed up Wednesday at noon, no one was going to be there. I had to understand who my customers were. Were they big families or small families? Did they want a dozen eggs? Did they want a small container of milk or cheese? Uh, I had to understand how to price my product, and I had to understand how to, how to package it and promote it. So all of those ideas, I think, are still true if we fast forward today. The difference is we don't come together in a town square so much. We come together in this virtual marketplace, uh, which might be local, it might be global, etc. 
but those issues around knowing your customers go back to those days. But there was a time, I think you're right, a couple of decades ago where uh, con- basically brands and, and products said, you know, this is great, we're great. If you want to work with us, here's how we offer our product, and you should buy it because we're better than everyone else out there. And now I think what's happened is uh, there's parity in a lot of products. And so a lot of what differentiates uh, things, I mean, look at airlines. Uh, an airline gets you from point A to point B. What really differentiates you is not the plane, and it's not the fact that you fly and you land at a different speed. It's really the quality of experience. And that's what we're starting to see is people saying, I'm willing to pay for this, or I want to go very cheap and I don't want to pay for anything. So there's an entire range of of experiences you can have. But what really, I think, differentiates different brands is knowing their customer. Mm. The other thing I I think, we started to see companies that were fixtures in the American um, landscape disappear. And I'm thinking particularly of Sears and Kmart which were there through my entire lifetime, uh, and everybody went to Sears, and people went to Kmart when that first came out, and et cetera. And now they may not be in business. I mean, they may actually not survive. And why? Because I think they lost track of their customer. They didn't know who their customers were. They were trying to be everything to everybody and trying to reach out across um, various different landscapes and, and offer various products, and, and never with an understanding of who the customer was. So if your listeners being CPAs and accountants need to make sure that they're not the Sears, you need to be more of the Nordstroms um, or, or, you know, on the lower end. You, you can be Walmart too, which is, you know, offering a very cheap, low-cost product, but that's, that's a harder market to be in. But you can't just be Sears because Sears, this, this kind of vanilla Sears just doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. Be, be, be everything be everything to everyone, kind of you use words along those lines. Why does that happen with business owners is we try to meet everyone, you know, we bring in everyone as a customer, whoever. whoever well, you know, I, I think I don't think it's a matter of greed so much as a matter of just um, over-exuberance sometimes. We have a wonderful product and a wonderful service, and why couldn't everybody take advantage of this? We could sell it to you, and we could sell it to someone else, and this one and that one, and that's all true. But there's a certain um, marketing and positioning and promotion that has to happen to interest one group of people that may not interest another group. And one group of people may need more service and support and another group may not. Um, And if I'm selling a product that's really targeted at, at senior citizens over the age of 65, that product is not likely to be cool with millennials. So it's not that the product couldn't be used by both, but you might have to market it differently or you might have to package it differently. Um, and it takes time and effort. And particularly when you're talking about small business owners, you don't have unlimited resources. You don't have unlimited time. You don't have un- unlimited ability to, to really go after everybody and, and their brother. So what you need to do is say, this is the sweet spot. This is where I'm going to focus because these are the people I think it makes the most sense to them and to me. And if someone comes in outside of the sweet spot, that's great, but I'm not going to, um, to put a lot of effort into that and try to be everything to everybody. Yeah, so the sweet spot, you, you use the word sweet spot, I call it the client avatar, is knowing your client. Yes. Uh, who, who is it, who, you know, from a demographic standpoint, from a psychographic standpoint, so that, you know, once you know who they are, 
who the ideal client is, who the client avatar is, you can go and find them, and you can say no to the clients that don't, to the prospects that don't fit that profile. Absolutely. Yes, Sometimes so it's more important to say no than it is to say yes, because yeah. what you don't do is as important as what you do do. And again, particularly for smaller businesses, you have to say, this is what we do and this is what we don't. And I'm thinking, you know, again, for, for your client base in terms of CPAs and accountants, there may be parts of the business that, yes, you could do, for example, I'm going to make this up, but you could do tax returns. Um, but maybe the simple tax return that someone could do with TurboTax online really doesn't pay for you to do that because they could do it online. However, when that same person starts to have property and, and inheritances and other issues that require, you know, maybe they own a business or two, um, and there's other issues, there's planning, what happens with this and with that. Now all of a sudden there's a, a value that you add beyond just doing the tax return that I could have done on, on TurboTax. So maybe there's a part of the business you say, we don't do that because there's another way for you to do it. Where we really focus and add value is in this part over here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it really, I mean, it does require being strategic about it. It's taking the time to really understand uh, understand the best customers. What, from 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 your experience and, and, and know-how, what's the best way to find out what does the customer want with the limited resources that a small business owner or practitioner would have? And this may sound strange, Celine, but the best way to find out what the customer wants is to ask them. And that may sound simple, but we don't do that very often. So we, I'm presuming that you know, if you're in business already, you have some customers who love you and they come back, Ask them, say, take them to lunch or buy them coffee or have a conversation and say, we're trying to improve our service to you. What we'd really like to know is what is it that we do that you, you feel is good? What, do you, what is it that you think is, we're doing well, we're serving you well? And then the second part of the question is to say, and where can we improve? Now, what's really important is you have to be able to kind of bite your tongue. And when the customer says to you, well, you could do such and such better, you don't say, well, we already do that well. How come you don't know that? You say, thank you very much. I'll take that back and let me know. Now, some customers are going to tell you they want things that it doesn't make sense for you to offer, and that's okay. You need to acknowledge, uh, and I talk about this in, your, in the book, you need to acknowledge what they're telling you, and then you need to sell, tell them back what you're going to do with the information. Thank you, Celine. That's very helpful. I'm going to take that back to my partners. We're going to review this as well as other input from other clients, and we'll get back to you and let you know what it is we can do to, to help you be more effective be more effective in helping you in the future. So you ask them, and you kind of get a, a sense of, of what people want. Another way to do this is to look at your competitors who perhaps are doing better than you in some areas and say, what is it they do really well? What is it that that firm does that makes people want to go there? And how do we either do that well or find an area that they're not doing something well in? You know, perhaps they're more targeted on larger companies and they're not helping the mom-and-pop small businesses. So can we provide that same level of service in an area that they don't do that? So asking your customers and, and kind of looking around at what your competitors are doing, uh, both very important ways to get information. Yeah, and, you know, find, asking the customer is what you, what you said, and I'll tell you this from 
mistake, a mistake I've made for, for many years, Linda, was I felt that if I asked the customer, what is the customer, the client going to think of me that I don't know my market, I don't know my business as well? And so I had this, you know, this fear, what is my client going to think of me, the expert, the person, you know, who, I, who the client's paying money to, <laughs> you know, for, for, for the advice. And it was quite interesting to see that I really connected with the client even more when I asked them and they opened up and they could share with me what, who they were, what were their deepest desires, their challenges, and, and so forth. So I just felt that that relationship went to a higher level when I opened up myself and became so, like, put all my cards there is really, I don't have all the answers. I'd love for you to help me. Tell me more about this area. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're absolutely right because it is building the relationship. And the other thing is you're not going to ask your customer, do you have any idea what we should do in terms of filling out this form or filing this thing? <laughs> you're not asking them how you're going to do your business. What you're saying is how, we're, here's what we're doing for you. Is that working? And if it's not working, tell us what would work for you better. And customers love to be asked this kind of thing because most of the time no one – if they ask, it's not serious. I mean, you're standing in line at the supermarket, and the checker says to you, did you find everything you need? And if you ever say no, um, they're stopped in their tracks because they have no idea what to say. I was looking for the bread, and it used to be on aisle 7. It's not there. Now, they may say, oh, it's been moved to aisle 4, or they're like, um, uh, I, I, I don't know. And so those are questions where people are trained to ask that, but they're really, it's a rhetorical question. It's like, how are you? No one's looking for the real answer. But when you go in there and you say, I honestly want to hear from you hmm. what it is that's working, and how, perhaps tell me, Celine, a little bit about your business and things that I might need to know about your business that would be more helpful for me in terms of being able to offer a better service. Customers love to talk about themselves. And they, they, most of them will just, just take you up on that and be thrilled to death. Yeah. And doesn't then that help us to shape our message of being what differentiates us and our unique selling proposition or our unique value proposition? Absolutely. Doesn't that lead into that? Absolutely, because you start to understand. And I've done this sometimes, by the way, it's, it may be helpful to hire a third person to do this. I do this all the time. I've just finished a project with a large um, Silicon Valley company where we interviewed some of their customers and their partners and we said tell us about your business and what's working and how is, is this particular company are you using their products is it working is it not what would you like to see but even with smaller companies I have gone in and done this for people who told me I know exactly why people hire me and when I said to them why do you hire them uh, they came up with answers that the, the client never would, never would have thought of in a thousand years. So you may think you know the answer, but until you ask and you get this input, you don't really know the answer that, that may um, reflect and, and change your messaging uh, and really get you into a different, a different space. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give a practitioner who is looking to ramp up their marketing and, and bring in more good quality clients that fits, that fits their profile? How do they, you know... They, so now they know their customer, they've created the, the message. Uh, what, 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 what would they do next? So there's a couple of things. I think, first of all, we don't want to you know, kind of boil the ocean here. We want to do one or two things and do them well and then go on. 
So uh, you want to make sure that you're, um, you're offering the services that you think customers need based on having talked to them. You want to make sure that you're communicating effectively with them on an ongoing basis. So uh, a CPA is someone that I may talk to once a month, once a quarter, but certainly not every week. Um, and I don't necessarily want to hear from you every week or every day or anything of that nature, but maybe something that's useful, um, a little bit of information that might be helpful to me that you send out on a regular basis. So I stay top of mind. And that's for two reasons. Number one is because you want me to be thinking about you when I need some financial help. But number two, even more important, every one of your clients is a potential refer to other new business. And I will bet that particularly in, in the professional services agency, and I've worked with a number of professional services firms, most of your business comes through referrals. So I'm looking, I've started a new, a new company, and I say, Salim, who do you use for your accounting? And you tell me I use ABC Company. Oh, okay, well, Salim seems like a good guy, and he runs his business well, and he tells me that they're good, I'll call them. So um, be less concerned about uh, you know, running Facebook ads or Google AdWords and that kind of thing, and be more concerned about working with your existing clients to say, and, and it's, it's perfectly fine for you to say to me, Linda, uh, uh, you know, we, we re really run our business on referrals. Who do you know who might need an accounting firm like mine? And I will probably say, God, you know, I was just talking to someone who's starting a business, and they told me they're about ready to, to hire a firm. Why don't I connect the two of you? So that's, uh, that's a key. Number one, it helps to reinforce the relationship with the existing customer. But number two, referral business and getting people who are telling you, go talk to Salim, is the best way to go and get additional clients and build your business. And then the other thing you want is to always get testimonials. I work with them. They did a great job. We had a very complicated situation. They stayed calm. They helped make things happen. You know, if you can get me to sign that with my name and the name of my company, that's great. If not, you can say small business owner, located in Silicon Valley, whatever it is. Uh, but that helps too because having someone else, again, in this kind of day and age, when we do go and look at reviews, whether it's on Amazon or Netflix or whatever, um, we're looking to see what other people said more than what the company itself said. It's important to have other people saying good things about you. Very, very important. So have, once you know the customer, start to, um, to, to put together the right services, promote the services you have, communicate with them, ask them for referrals, ask them for testimonials. Mm. And creating the right services that, that the customer wants, the client wants, you see that within the umbrella uh, of marketing. I, I think promoting it I do. So, for example, I was talking to a, uh, a colleague of mine who runs an accounting firm. I think she's an enrolled agent. Uh, and she was talking about that she, you know, she always bills by the hour for a number of things. But she said there's some services that every client needs or most of her clients needs, and they don't like getting this hourly billing. So we talked about her putting together this package that was kind of the small business package, and I can't tell you right now exactly what it includes. It includes A and B and C, and these are things that most clients in that particular size space would need. And then there was a medium package, and that included A, B, C, D, and E, and then there was a large, and that included something else. And putting a flat fee against that. So what that said is she could say to a client, you can, bill, you, know, you can pay me by the hour for this, or for $2,000, I'll be happy to give you A, B, and C, 
and you pay me once, and you get that for a year, and that's what it is. And if that's not enough, then it's for $5,000, and I'm making these numbers up, obviously. But um, So the marketing of it is taking what she does and packaging it and putting it in a way that makes it very easy for the customer to say, well, I don't have to think about that anymore, and, I'm, and that's all taken care of. Yeah, and you're looking at it, you know, you're looking at marketing and services from, a, from an easiest, easy, easy to consume standpoint, from a convenience standpoint. And, right, you're incorporating those elements into the, into the services. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and I've been uh, teaching the service package thing for, for a number of years to, you know, including my own firm that, that I use that, and it works really well. Because clients don't want to be thinking about it. They want like, you take care of it. You tell me when I need right. to do what. And send me <laughs> and the bill. Yeah. Uh, right. And it's a fixed, it's, it's, it's a, a monthly fixed bill. bill. You yeah. know, it's like, I don't want surprises that you took, I don't know, X hours because <laughs> for whatever reason. And, and I'll uh, tell you yeah. something else too. And, and I, I work a lot with Alan Weiss, who is the consulting guru and the uh, kind of the founder and, and uh, you know, and, and champion of value-based fees. But it's, it's, somewhat unethical to be charging by the hour and looking for more hours rather than say, let me do this for you. And the faster I can get it done, I don't care how many hours it takes. I'm going to get it done as quickly as possible, which is what you want, which is what I want. And which is, we're all working together. We're not working at at, at cross purposes there. Uh, And the other thing I think is that it really, it's a way to differentiate you. If all of your other competitors or the other firms near you are charging at an hourly rate, and then they're charging for things like Xeroxing and phone calls and all that other stuff, um, which should be, in my opinion, your, part of your cost of doing business, and you come and say, here's a fixed rate and that's it. Um, well, for me as a business owner, I love knowing that that's what I'm going to pay. And I don't have to worry about getting a bill and another bill and another bill. What is this, you know, $24 here for postage or whatever. So uh, I, I think it, it differentiates you, and it really does uh, put you thinking about the customer and the relationship instead of being at odds in terms of how many hours have they billed me this month. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about top of mind. You know, you know other than meeting with a client – you're staying in front of them. What are some ways to, to do that? Well, I mean, one of the things to do is to create some kind of communication that's educational and informative. So it might be the 10 things you need to think. Now that tax season is over, the 10 things you need to be thinking about as you get into your business in the middle of the year. Um, or five things that we think you need that uh, as you approach um, the end of the quarter, Here's some things that might be helpful to you. So, um, so it, it's educational, it's informative, it's, maybe there's an article that, that someone has posted somewhere that you send a link, but I'd, I'd really rather see you create something that's just a short little um, informative piece um, that you can send out to people. And they say, oh, that's useful. That's the you know, uh, tips for dealing with the IRS if this happens or your state uh, tax authority, whatever it is. Uh, but there's something that's, that's educational and informative, and it's something you can send to people, and they say, oh, okay, that's nice of them to send it to me. Uh, I might read it, I might not, but I, I remember in my mind that Salim's firm just sent that to me. It is not a promotional piece. It's not selling. It's not, say, call us because you were the best accounting firm around. It's something that, that helps to add value and keep me uh, aware of the fact that this is what you do, even though I don't need to call you this week. 
Hmm. Now, does the information have to be related to income taxes and to accounting? Not necessarily, um, but certainly I would I would find it a little odd if you were to start to send me information on nutrition values <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. So it should be related to small business. Um, perhaps there's uh, a way to um, to work with other people who serve small businesses, whether they're bankers or insurance agents or financial planners, and um, you can either give them information that's relevant to those topics, or you can say, here's something from one of our, our colleagues who, uh, who, who looks at succession planning, and, uh, and we thought that that might be valuable to you. So I would keep it business-related. I, I think it, presuming that, that, again, that your clients are in small businesses and not mom and pop at home, uh, you know, individuals doing their taxes, you want to keep it related to the small business. But it doesn't always have to be about accounting, but it should be something that really is useful to me in growing my business. Got it. And, and that's what you talk in the book about content marketing, yes. right? Yes. Is getting in front of them with useful, valuable information other Absolutely. than the time that we are servicing them. That's, uh, that's awesome. Good information and good stuff you're sharing with us. Really, really appreciate that. In the internal engagement, you've used the words, those words in the book. What does that mean? You've got to get, and, and again, and, 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 a, and for a CPA firm, you probably don't have hundreds of, of people. Maybe you just have a few. But your employees need to be engaged and, and be thinking about the customer uh, and how they can help them just as much as the person who goes out and calls on the customer. So... Um, it, it may be in, in a small firm that, that you only have a couple of people. Maybe everybody talks to the customer. Maybe some people don't. Uh, and it's not so much that you're thinking, quote, unquote, marketing, but you're aware of the fact that this is going on, these things are happening. So the more you can get your, um, your internal team engaged and understanding when you come up with that value proposition of what differentiates you, your internal, all of your employees need to understand that as well. Um, because it, it's the same, you know, we go to the Apple store and what is the first thing you see? Five people in Apple shirts that, that kind of almost cost you to see how they can help you, and they, they love Apple. You can sell that. Uh, they're not on commission. They're not getting paid more for selling an extra whatever iPhone, but um, they're there, and there's that, that sense of, of mission. Um, same thing if, if, you know, there are other companies like that. We hear about Nordstrom's quite a bit. But there are, you know, think about organizations like the Red Cross or Habitat for Humanity. Uh, you know, those people aren't getting paid, but they're there. They believe in the mission, and they're doing something, and you know what they stand for. So what, you don't have to be saving the world like the Red Cross or building houses for homeless people. If the fact that you're helping me, you know, with my financial needs and building my business, et cetera, all of your team needs to know what that means. How does that translate? So the fact that we are client-focused and the fact that we do this, when such and such a situation comes up, how do we handle that? How do we respond? Uh, And we see so often when that doesn't happen, the most recent example being, and it's been all over the news, is United Airlines dragging that that poor passenger off the airplane. Now, I presume that they were probably legally correct in what they did, but it was they had totally lost track of the fact that we're here, we have a choice of where we fly, and that we're on the plane, and we don't want to be taken off at that point, and certainly not dragged off. So, yeah. um, so what happened is there was this disconnect between 
what I think their mission is or should be and what, what their employees were, were told to do on a day-to-day -day basis. And they say they're working to fix it and it will take time. But, um, but that's, that's an, an egregious example. What you really want to do is make sure that your employees understand um, what it means to be customer-focused, what it means to be devoted to small business, whatever it is that you say your firm is about, and then how do, they, how do you enable them doing that on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's, you know, it's what you shared earlier in that it enables the company, the firm, to provide the, the best service, and from that service to their clients come referrals, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And here's, what ha here's what's also changed in today's world. I used to be able to call you and say, God, I had terrible service today at, the, at, at this restaurant. Don't go there. Uh, and I might tell three or four people that, and I might only tell one or two people if I had great service. Because uh, we always tell, somehow the negative sticks with us usually more than the positive. But today, we don't tell one or two people. We don't use the phone unless we're going to text. We get on Facebook and we say, man, that service in that restaurant was terrible. Don't ever go there. Or we go on Yelp and we write a review. Or we tweet about it. So we tell, and, and so everything becomes magnified with the tools we have today. And instead of talking to just one or two people, we talk to 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people. And things get, even small, um, small just little incidents get sort of blown out of proportion because that happens. So we have to be very careful as business people to make sure that we're watching the pulse of what happens. And here's the other thing. If you make a mistake and you have a customer that's upset, see that as an opportunity because a customer who is upset, who is then taken care of and feels that their problem has been solved in a, in a pleasant manner and an effective manner, they will become even more of an advocate for you than someone who never had a problem to start with. So nobody's perfect, problems occur, but use that as an opportunity to work with that customer and say, you know, how can we fix this? What can we do to make this better for you? And if you do a good job and you do it in sincerity and with integrity and you really do fix the problem, the chances are that they will work with you and, and stay with you. One of the things that I remember from studying Jay Abraham uh, a number of years back, and I think it was Jay Abraham, <laughs> uh, and not uh, Tom Peters, those two names come to mind, but I think it was Jay Abrahams. He said, fall in love with your customer. Don't fall in love with your service or your ah. product. How do we fall in love with our customer? What do we do to get that going for us? Well, you know, it's, I, th I think you're absolutely right. I don't know who said that, but, but we tend to very often fall in love with our service. We're very good. We have the best methodology. We have the best services. We do this better. And that's all good. We need to be good at what we do. That's kind of an, an understanding. That's necessary but not sufficient. But you need to translate. It's only valuable if it's something that the customer wants and, they, and they're willing to pay for so you can offer a wonderful service, but if it's too expensive and out of price range for most small business owners, that's not good either. So it has to be within their price range. They're willing to pay for it, and it adds value. So how do you fall in love with what your customers do? I think part of it is, again, getting to know them, talking to them, really going in there and understanding their business, asking them what makes them tick, you know, what, what kind of opportunities do you see, where are the issues that you have in your business, you know, why, why did you start this business anyway? You know, why, what, what made you do this? So the more you get to know them, um, the more you can start to understand things from their perspective. 
And if you see it from their perspective and all of a sudden you can see, well, you know, what we were talking about as a service may not be exactly right. Maybe we have to change that a little bit. Wow, great. So, man, I'm watching the clock and it's like running fast. We've got, <laughs> you know, and you've been uh, just like uh, amazing resource in, in what you're sharing with us. I've got a few more questions um, before we, we, we finish off. You know, you talked about referrals as one of the uh, better ways to bring in clients, provide good service to your existing customers, and get referrals makes a lot of sense. And then some of the ways to do that. What other methods can a practitioner be thinking about in terms of being out there and bringing in their, in their, their best clients? So I, there's a couple of things. I, I think you need to be, uh, make sure that your name is out there, make sure that you do have a good web presence, uh, that it, it's clear what you do. Uh, get on LinkedIn and make sure you're updated and that you're looking at, um, uh, you know, when people look at you, they see all the pertinent information that they might need. Um, go to a place like LinkedIn, see who you're connected with, see who um, might be uh, good for you to call on. Uh, make sure you have some kind of marketing piece collateral that really explains sort of what you do. And it doesn't have to be printed in four color and expensive. It could be something that's just a, you know, a, a folder, a file on your, on your um, website in a PDF, but something that makes it really simple that explains who works with you, why they work with you, etc. Um, go to associations. Go to places. Once you've figured out who your customers are, then figure out where they go. Are there places that they congregate? Are there meetings they go to? Does it make sense to join the Chamber of Commerce or a Rotary Club or whatever? Um, does it make sense to, um, to belong to certain associations? If you're working with some kind of small uh, manufacturing company, is there a local meeting of those people? So get out in front of them and meet with them and talk to them. Uh, do some pro bono work. Find an organization that you like, that you feel good about, and start uh, providing services. And here's the interesting part. Yeah, you could stuff envelopes or you could you know, send out emails. But if you're a CPA, and I know you do this all day, but could you help them with their financial stuff? Could you help them keep their, you know, their books in balance or, or something of that nature? Because they'll say, wow, he did that for such and such an organization. Maybe I ought to consider them for, um, you know, for, for, uh, for my business. So there are lots of ways to get in front of people and do that. But the main thing is you've got to figure out who your customers are and where they go and what they're listening to, how they're being influenced, and then get out there and tell your story. Mm. Do they need to, does a practitioner need to do a whole lot of stuff or focus in on, say, three things? I'd focus on just a couple of things to start with. It's, you know, you want to move one or two things forward a lot rather than, you know, a lot of things forward a little teeny bit. So um, I would focus on one or two things, see if they work. If they don't work, try something else. If you've got something, you've got, say, a, you know, a monthly newsletter you've got going and that seems to be under control, then add something else. But you've got to be running your business. You've got to be doing the work and, and managing the business. Nobody I've met ever says, gee, I've got so much time for marketing. What else should I do? So you need to just pick a couple of things and, um, and, and do those well. Yeah, and importantly, come to the marketplace in a different, unique, fresh way. Exactly. Right? Don't come as one, another accountant because there's enough of us exactly. around here. <laughs> um, in finishing off, Linda, two questions perhaps. Um, 
Reese, uh, if folks want to get hold of you, are you accessible, available, uh, some information about you there? Yep, absolutely. So you can find out more about me on uh, my website, which is Leverage the Number 2 Market, leveragetomarket.com. Uh, or you can go to the site about the book, which is marketingabove.com. Uh, and you can find all kinds of information there. Um, there's some free resources. I send out a top-of-mind newsletter every Thursday with just some interesting thoughts about business. Uh, and so those are available. There's free videos, uh, lots of different resources there. So um, and happy to chat with anyone who wants to, um, to find out a little bit more. I do coach and mentor people, particularly in small businesses, and offer a lot of different services. So would be happy to chat with any of your listeners and, and just have a short conversation and see if that would be helpful for them. Fantastic. So it's leverage hyphen. No two, hyphen. Leverage. Or no hyphen. Leverage. Leverage the number two market. Got it. That's the name of the company. Yes. And uh, the name of the book is Marketing Above the Noise. It is Marketing Above the Noise. It's available on Amazon uh, and Barnes & Noble and in better uh, independent bookstores all over. Yeah, and I really like the the book, Linda, from a standpoint. It's got good, solid information, but lots of examples of companies and names that we know of, brands that we hear of, successful and unsuccessful and, and the lessons to learn from them. Ritz-Carlton, page 139 is about Ritz-Carlton. Yep. And, and just a bunch, I mean, J.C. Penney, there was, you know, from one of the other pages and so forth. So, you know, you've got like relevant stuff in there that would be useful to, to a practitioner. So I highly encourage you to reach out to Linda, book, website, you know, however you, you, know, you, you do um, to, to do that. Um, in finishing off, what question I did not ask you that I should have asked you that you'd like to answer? <laughs> <laughs> you asked me a lot of great questions. Uh, let's see, what question did you not ask me? God, that's, that's hard. <laughs> um, I thought I'd you know, I, I throw think, a wrench there. You know, one thing that I keep getting asked a lot about these days is we hear a lot about fake news. And does uh-huh. that impact us um, in terms of... Uh, as business people. And it does to the extent that consumers are being a little bit more skeptical about what they read online. So if you're going to write something, write a piece that really talks about your own praises and how good you are uh, and put it out there, it's less likely that people are going to believe it these days because we're now looking at things and going, hmm, is that for real? Is that not for real? So without getting political at all, uh, from a pure business perspective, um, it's much better to have someone else talk about you and, what, um, and the value you provide than really trying to go out of your way and, and create something that's overly promotional and put it out there as if it's not, you know, pretending that it's just PR or whatever, that, that someone picked up this article. So I don't know that anyone in your organization or your listeners would do that, but I have found businesses that have gotten hurt by that, so that's something to think about. Mm, good, good. Awesome. Linda, I can't thank you enough. This was really good. Oh, it was uh, my pleasure, Celine. Yeah, uh, very much appreciated. So okay. thanks, thanks, thanks for your time.